Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Hey guys, quick word of warning. This podcast is going to have some strong language in it. So if you are listening around children or you don't like to hear some bad words, some curse words, you might not want to listen to this one. We want to point out that we did extend an invitation to Senator Cruz to respond to this podcast, to be on with us, and he declined. But he does still have an open invitation. Again, a language warning for the episode that you're about to hear. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome back to a, another episode of Yolitics here. Jason Wheeler along with me, and we are talking about this big political week. Now, Jason, four years ago, I was in D.C. for the inauguration, covering the inauguration, not taking part in it. And inaugurations are always festive times. I mean, they're, you know, one party wins and, and you know, they, they have a good time, balls and things like that. Not this year, as you well know, Jason. Yeah, like so many other things, uh, this uh, time around is going to be very different than the last time around. You're going to see a lot of uh, National Guard there in D.C. Not many people. Nobody's going to be arguing over the crowd size after this inauguration because they've essentially told people, stay away. We don't want you to come and gather here. Uh, we want this to be safe from you know a violence perspective, and we also want this to be safe from a COVID perspective. So it's going to look and feel uh, very different uh, as, of course, you know uh, the events that happened on the 6th of January there at the Capitol continue to reverberate. Let's get directly to our first guest here, uh, Rick Wilson, political consultant, works with the Lincoln Project. You guys know the Lincoln Project. It is the uh, group of Republicans who have, some have left the party, who are just disgusted that the GOP has has gone the way of President Trump and few people call, you know, really call out uh, his supporters. Uh, the GOP, uh, the Lincoln Project rather, uh, helped defeat the GOP in the November election. So Rick's on the line with us. Rick, how are you, man? I am well, thank you. How are you guys today? Doing well. Uh, you know, you you guys worked really hard to defeat Trump, but now I understand you're setting your sights on a senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, after he rejected Biden's win just before the Capitol riots. Tell us about this. Well, I mean, Ted is just one of the the members of the Sedition Caucus from uh, the, from, from the week of the 6th where they chose to continue to inflame a violent conspiracy theory uh, and a violent group of conspirators who believed uh, the line of complete BS that Donald Trump had lost the election. Ricky. So we, we hold them responsible for helping to inflame that language, perpetuate that conspiracy theory, inflame that crowd. Um, they, they, you know, Donald Trump may have struck the match, but they poured gas all over the countryside. Rick, you all are known for, for not mincing words there with the Lincoln Project. I'm sure a lot of people do remember the ads that you all ran against uh, President Trump in the election campaign. Uh, I saw you all tweet out the other day, and it was just, it, it was very sparse as far as words go, but uh, one of the lines in there was, America or Ted Cruz. You're asking people here to, you're, you're basically saying it's that simple of a choice. Do you want America or do you want Ted Cruz? You know, Ted Cruz, who pretends to be a constitutional conservative, who pretends to be someone who is guided by the founding documents of this country, 
quite clearly was not. He was clearly a shallow, crass, grotesque political opportunist trying to grab onto the Trump train in its last moments of life in Washington and to position himself for a future, uh, you know, political, you know, ascension to the White House. Um, Look, and we all know Ted Cruz is sort of a political force of nature. He is what he is. You either hate him or you hate him. Um, and, and, and he is a guy who, who went so far over the edge, not just to appease Donald Trump and Trump's base, but because he felt like Josh Hawley had gotten out ahead of him on it. Mm. So we saw that action as something that was, that was overtly seditious. It was overtly part of an insurrection seeking to overturn a free and fair election. And, you know, and, and as for as much as everyone sort of cordially hates Ted Cruz, um, this is also about the fact that there's a caucus of these guys right now. There are a, there's a set of these guys right now who really understand what they're doing. Ted Cruz is not a stupid man. He's many things, but he's not stupid. He understood that he was flirting with with outright insurrection by continuing to, to support this absurd uh, proposal by the president. And I think the thing that also really struck us, when you get right down to it, when Cruz and Hawley and Johnson and Hyde Smith and, and Blackburn and others, when you look at what these people are saying, their message is very clear. We want a recount. We want to throw out the votes in these states that the Trump campaign targeted, states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia. That Why they want to do those states? Because in each of those states, there's a massive population of African-American voters who came out in massive numbers for Joe Biden. What they are asking in this new Jim Crow caucus they have, they have developed is to eliminate those votes, to take those votes out of the pool, to give those states to Donald Trump by disqualifying tens of millions of African-American votes. And to put it very mildly, you know, we're not going to put up with that shit. We just don't we don't play that game. Rick, let me ask you, I mean, Ted Cruz isn't up to run for reelection to his Senate seat if he goes that way or if he goes for the presidency. Uh, until 2024. So he'd have to really kind of start, uh, you know, gathering donors together in the next year or two, regardless of which way he's going. So what are you guys going to do to keep attention on Cruz? Or is that even part of your strategy? Is it, you know, going after ads or is it Twitter or donors or kind of you know, what's, we, what's we have plan? a whole, we, you know, we, we fight what we call full spectrum warfare all the time. So we do media, we do ads, but often those things are sort of the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg you see floating outside the water. And a lot of the stuff we're doing underneath the water is, is in some ways more consequential. Look, we don't, we don't look at Ted Cruz as an electoral challenge we have to face right away. We know Ted Cruz is, is driven by this demonic level of ambition. He wants to be president. He is desperate to finally be the cool kid and, have, and, and be the president. And so we know that that's going to drive all his behavior. Now, to get there, he has to do two things. He has to really, really, really keep the Trump base and hopefully win them over. Uh, because remember, there's nothing Trump voters hate more than a Republican who ever said a bad word about Donald Trump. Mm. And Cruz is okay with them, but I can promise you he's going to try to make up all that ground for the stuff he said about Trump in 16, which is one of the few times I think Ted Cruz ever spoke from the heart. And he really lashed out in 2016. He took the stick to him, and and, and rightly so. Listen, if you said, hey, your wife is ugly and your dad killed JFK to me, you'd be eating out of a straw for six months. <laughs> I mean, it just it's, it's an absurd degree of abdignation Cruz put himself through after this thing. I mean, watching him get humiliated like that, it's like, 
dude, if you want to be that embarrassed and to be and debase, get a dominatrix or something. I mean, this guy, the, the begging and the pleading, oh, Donald, please love me. It's just horrifying. He has been remarkably quiet, I have noticed, since the since the riot there at the Capitol took place. Is this something where, you know, and, and that's not unexpected, is this something where he can sort of, you know, shelter for a little while, kind of wait this out, ride this out? I suspect the reason he's being quiet right now is that attorneys around him are saying, please don't say a goddamn word. Hmm. We may have exposure. And you'll notice that Hawley, Cruz, Hyde Smith, Blackburn, and Johnson, they are so far out in the tall grass right now. There ain't nothing out there but crickets and sunshine. It is, they are hiding from the world, hmm. and rightly so. Now, Hawley is starting to poke his head up and give a few sort of semi demi hemi mea culpas. But for the most part, these guys have realized that this was a very, very bad move legally, politically, morally. Uh, you know, constitutionally. And so that's why they are in a position right now where they're where they're not uh, out beating their chests and saying, I am the alpha male inheritor to the to the MAGA fortunes. So so I mean, I would think that they would have some pretty good cover once Biden gets inaugurated on Wednesday to come back out and say, look what, you know, Biden's far left or, you know, really kind of position themselves as a, as the uh, right wing attacker of the Biden administration. Do you expect them to, to reemerge later in the week? Oh, I, I, think you'll see, I think you'll see them playing those roles. But in the in the short term, though, they also recognize there's another factor here is that the thing that's driving American politics right now post Trump will be COVID and will be the economic attempt to recover from COVID. So Joe Biden, if he's smart, and I think they've got a good team working on this problem, if they're smart, they're going to focus almost exclusively on COVID for the first six to 10 months. They need to build a vaccination program, get the right team in place, roll out a a broader economic recovery package for COVID. Do all the things you've got to do to address the real thing. It's a lot harder when almost 400,000 people have died under the Republicans' watch to say, my God, we can't give them $600 more. That's socialism. That would be awful when these people have had their lives absolutely destroyed. So I think it's harder for them to play the traditional Washington game. Look, if Joe Biden was going to come out day one and go, I want gun confiscation and the Green New Deal by tomorrow, they would have a lever to fight with from there. Rick, what do you think? What do you you think is going to happen to the Republican Party going forward here? I mean, we're already seeing some pretty significant splintering with regard to the Electoral College acceptance, as well as with the impeachment question. What happens to the GOP? You know, Jason, this is a problem that two years ago I would have been obsessed about. But they they, they bought this ticket. They get to take this ride. Hmm. They have now defined themselves as a party that is about a couple of things authoritarian statism because they would certainly love to have Donald Trump hold office no matter what whether he won or lost it is about an aggressive racially inflected populism it is about a a a excuse driven ideology that says oh well I my, my delicate feelings are hurt by the media not liking me enough or people throwing me off Twitter or, 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 or some other imaginary oppression hmm. and, 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 a, and a palette of imaginary enemies. Hmm. And, and they can sell that to their base, but you can't sell that outside your base. It works for the guys that, you know, the red hat guys that love that stuff, 
but that's only about 30% of the country. 70 million people may have voted for Trump. About half of those people just did it behaviorally because they're just generic Republicans. They're not into the daily craziness. He's got a big base. He's got a solid base, but it's not anybody else's base. But look, it's his base. Rick, let me ask you about the craziness, because we've been talking here at Yolitics about what do you call these people who are up there in D.C. breaking into the Capitol and inside the Capitol without going through security? I mean, is it Republicans say, hey, don't don't, you know, put these on us. I don't know if conservative is the right word. Radical right. I mean, what do you call them, man? Y'all-Qaeda. Um, you know, they, they are they are um, they are essentially unconnected to any ideological premise or predicate of the Republican Party. OK, they are not, they don't care about the size of government or individual liberty or the Constitution, rule of law, taxes, you know, our role in the world. None of that matters to them. They are driven by anger and worship of Donald Trump. Those are the two things that, that drive them now. That's not a party. That's a cult. It's a terrorist group. And that it's take, not a party anymore. That takes me back to the last question I asked you then. Does you, does the Lincoln Project become a, a party movement? Is there going to be a third party that comes out of this? Look, I think there's a third party that will come out of the schism inside the GOP. And, and I'll be very blunt with you. Hmm. I don't think it will be the largest of the two factions. Hmm. Okay. I think the traditional Republican economic and social and fiscal conservatism is basically dead. I think what will emerge is a pragmatic center-right party that is not driven by personality cult um, that will look like the old Republican Party in a lot of ways. Uh, And I think you will have a populist Trumpian Bannon-style party that emerges uh, on the far right that will look a lot like the Republican Party of today that is Donald Trump's party. And you think that second one will be the bigger party at first? At first, at first, but it is it's it's a it's a it's a party that can't function at scale. Hmm. It works great in a red state. Works great in a red district all day long. Solid base, you're done. But you can't go win places like where like we have three Republican governors right now in very blue states: Maryland, Massachusetts, and Vermont. Try to win in those three states with a Trumper. Hmm. You won't. It's not going to happen. And, and the opportunity space will close and make make the viability threshold lower and lower and lower, except in very red states, very red districts. And then you become a sort of regional party uh, in a few parts of the country, and you don't really have a national footprint anymore. Look, the Democrats have their problems, too. Believe me, they've got a, a progressive wing inside their party that's eating them alive, that demands all these things that are not going to work in the rest of the country. You've got the, the more moderate centrist wing of the party. Which, you know, here's how weird our politics have gotten. Barack Obama's section of the party is now the center left, not Hmm. the far left. So the parties are in transformation right now, uh, but I do believe the GOP will split. Now, we're not trying to build a new party right now. We were just, that's not our, that's not the, that's not, we're in the democracy business. We're not necessarily in the party building business. And that may come at some point where we can be helpful to people putting something together or we can advise people in some capacity, but we're not trying. We didn't set out to build a political party per se. And, and Rick, we function if, a lot like we function a lot like one. We have a lot of the capabilities of one. We have a lot of the followership. We have more followers in the Republican Party, for God's sake, which is bizarre. Hmm. But um, 
but yeah, there, there's building a party is hard in this country. It's really hard. Mm. Um, not that we don't like hard work, but we've got a lot of other fish to fry first. And I presume Cruz is on that list. Ted Cruz is on the list of, of, of people who sided with a sedition caucus, who, who stood overtly with a statist authoritarian in Donald Trump trying to seize power illegally for a second term. So he would certainly be on a list of people that we would uh, we, we would pay a visit to in the future, as we like to say. And how will you know here in the early on, especially if you're making a dent, if you're getting to him, if you're somehow injuring his political fortunes? Look, we're going to go and and right now, nationally speaking, we're talking to the major donors that are the people, not the small dollar donors, the major donors that all these guys depend on, including Ted Cruz. Hmm. Where they need to go out to Home Depot and Citibank and 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 Boeing and and Wells Fargo and every other you know spectrum of, of business. No, in fact, it's been like our phones ring off the hook. People are reaching out to us preemptively to say, hey, we're out of this. We're not funding the NRSC. We're not going to fund Cruz. We're not going to fund Hawley. We're, we've, we've made a command decision that backing a pe- people who were insurgents and who were seditionists and insurrectionists is a bad, is a bad look for our company. And we're going to keep those peop- you know, folks on, on – we're going to hold them to account for their, what they've agreed to do which is to start cutting off people like Cruz and Hawley and Blackburn and Johnson. Hmm. And if I were just counseling them outside as an outside PR counselor, it's a good move. They lose nothing here. There's a Democratic majority. Uh, These, these, the idea that Trumpism gives guys a free pass to violate the law and the constitution is, is again, a look that is makes us look unstable. It reduces America's, you know, natural moral standing in the world. It reduces our ability to, to, to look like the freedom, a beacon of freedom in the world. And so a lot of these companies are looking at not only their, their bottom line interests, the, their, their customers' motivations and interests, but also like how they do business internationally. Mm. If you're a multinational American company right now, you've been accustomed to being able to roll into a meeting and say, the way we do it is X. Well, right now, the way we do it is crazy people beat cops to death and storm the Capitol and smear their feces in the rotunda. That's not a good look. And these guys don't like it. You know, Rick, something that struck me through all of this is the fact that you had business, social media companies finally doing what so many people uh, around President Trump and, and his supporters wouldn't do. And that is, you know, shut off the spigot, close the mic for him. How surprising is that to you? And, and secondly, that really represents a shift of power of where the power really lies. And it lies with these social media megaphones, doesn't it? Look, the power of social media is undisputed. The power of Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, all these things, TikTok, all these things is undisputed. They are still private companies. They are still private companies that make decisions about accommodation that are based on the terms of service they permit and the, and and the services that they offer generally speaking for no cost everybody understands you can't go on twitter and say let's start a war and kill those bastards and hang mike pence that's a great idea everybody knows you can't go out there and make inflammatory statements that have led to more and more violence so as a as a as an economic conservative, these businesses 
the, the accommodation they make is not any of the protected classes of accommodation. The First Amendment explicitly and specifically says the government may make no law restricting freedom of speech, exercise of religion, etc. It does not say the First Amendment says that Twitter has to keep your Twitter feed if your name is Nazi genocide fan 1488 and you're posting, you know, horrifying Nazi propaganda. They don't have to do that. If you owned a restaurant and somebody came in and said, I'm going to crap on my plate and then throw it around the room, you don't have to let them stay in your restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so Donald Trump learned that he didn't get to stay in the restaurant. He had to go. Rick, let me ask you this. We've seen editorials calling for Ted Cruz to resign or to to be, you know, escorted out, essentially, of, of the Senate. Uh, we've seen sure. uh, some petitions that move on, um, you know, basically asking for the same thing that have gathered around 50,000 signatures. What do you see coming of any of that? Do you see him really going anywhere until 2024? Look, I think it's a long shot to expel Ted Cruz from the Senate although not as long a shot as Ted Cruz thinks. Hmm. I had a very smart Senate aide the other day say to me, he said, listen, if it was a secret vote, 99 people in the Senate would vote to expel Ted Cruz. Hmm. If it's a not secret vote, he said, you're gonna get every single Democrat. And he says, and there's a half a dozen Republicans at the low boundary that just can't stand the guy because of the way he behaves. Even before this, Ted Cruz is like the most disliked member of the Senate. Um, and, and he wears that as a badge of honor, typically. Well, he, he does typically wear that as a badge of honor, um, but that's because he's socially maladjusted in some bizarre way. Um, it, this is not a guy who, like, gets the cues normal people have, um, which shows, you know, he just, he, he is, I always call Ted Cruz, he's a dumb, smart guy, hmm. okay? Obviously brilliant in many, many dimensions, but... You can't have a beer with the guy. You can't hang out with the guy. There's no, there's no guyness about Ted Cruz when it comes to those things. And so, should he be expelled? I believe so. Should Hawley be expelled? Absolutely. The rest of the co-conspirators, I believe so. It is still a high hill to climb. Senatorial courtesy is what it is. But you know, Texans should know that you're going to have another Republican senator if it's not Ted Cruz. You're going to have another Republican. You shouldn't worry about it. You can be rid of you can be rid of the the embarrassing part and keep the part you want ideologically, but that's just me. Rick, uh, last question here uh, from me at least: How do you think all this ends? Looking back ten years from now, how are we going to look back and see all this, man? Man, that is a hard question, uh, Jason. <clears throat> I, I think we're going to look back on it as a as the most serious test of our national institutions and character since the Civil War. And I think we're going to look back on it as a moment of extraordinary difficulty um, that in many ways attests that we failed uh, as a country. But uh, but I am hopeful that we will emerge on the other side of it with a greater appreciation for 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 why it's so important that we have a constitutional republic and why it's so important that we put politics before um, before the Constitution and the rule of law at our peril. As expected, a uh, very candid conversation with Rick Wilson, the co-founder of The Lincoln Project. Rick, thank you for taking the time. We know that uh, your phone's ringing off the hook these days. It, it, that, that is true. By the way, the other way it ends is a uh, 
is a radioactive wasteland Mad Max hellscape where we eat rats over a fire every night. So <laughs> I'm I'll gonna, take the first one. I'm going to opt for yeah, number one. Right. Me too. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Rick, thank thanks you. for having me. Thanks, Rick. See you, man. All right. So uh, a cold day in January, but uh, Rick Wilson took his gloves off there. Did you see him on MSNBC the other night? I did not, oh but uh, I, I heard a snippet of it, and all it took was that snippet. Like I said, the, the, the guys and, and the, the men and women at the Lincoln Project are not shy about you know letting it be known what they think, but it seems like they have sharpened their way of, of getting at these different candidates. Uh, they had plenty of practice through the campaign going against uh, uh, President Trump, and it seems like they've really sort of honed that and sharpened it when they disagree with someone. Yeah, Jason, they have a win under their belt, man. They, they, they know what yeah. they're doing now, uh, not to say that they didn't before. So you're probably listening to this saying, wow, Whiteley and Wheeler, you're not being very fair to Cruz. What the hell's going on? Why aren't, why aren't you having Cruz in here? Well, uh, quick disclosure, we have reached out to Cruz uh, immediately after we recorded the interview with Rick Wilson. But separately, uh, we have a statewide TV show, political TV show mm-hmm. that we do called Inside Texas Politics. And we have been reaching out to the senator for um, the past, what, 10, 11 days since January mm-hmm. 6th, trying to get well, a comment from him as well. And sometimes you don't get the email. We get that. So, you know, Senator Cruz, who has been on this podcast before, who knows, maybe at that time he subscribed. And if you're listening, Senator Cruz, we have sent you a uh, an invite. We will give you the floor. We know that these are some, some blistering comments coming from people who are in your uh, same party or who very until very recently were in your party. And uh, we'll give you the floor and, and let you respond to some of this uh, if you'd like to come on with yeah, us. Yeah, let you respond to all of it. I'd, l- I'd like to hear from the senator. I'd like to hear from Senator Cornyn about this as well, too. He's a senior senator, just elected to his fourth term. Uh, well, and I think Texas. the people of Texas should hear from their senators yeah. about these. I mean, these are extraordinary times. Let, let's hope we get through Wednesday. Uh, everything goes fine. Um, you know, it's, that's it, like we started off the podcast talking about it's normally a festive time, the transition of power. In this country, we've all watched it since we were kids, probably. Maybe I'm the mm-hmm. only nerd who was watching it since, like, age five. Uh, but, no, I remember. But it's, it's, yeah. it's neat to see, and it's important to see also for each generation to see that we can still, you know, be friends at the end of the day. We are all Americans at the end of the day. We're all Texans at the end of the day, Jason. Yep, sure are. Uh, Thanks, uh, as always, for listening. Uh, We drop every Tuesday, and who knows, uh, we may have Senator Cruz on with us uh, for an episode coming up soon to respond to all of this. So make sure you subscribe. 